Hello and welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki Rousseau, CEO and founder of Exaptic, a robotics company based in Melbourne. Our guest today is Dr. Nathan Kirchner, who is Special Advisor for Langer Rock. He is also CTO of Prescient, as well as Director of Robotics Australia Group, to mention but a few caps he wears. Nathan, you are a highly talented individual with many awards and accolades to your name. So welcome to the podcast today. Well, that's a lot of pressure. I'm very <laughs> happy to be here. I would much prefer to be referred to as a person rather than a job title though. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to put it in the show notes for everyone to see all your accolades because when I was researching you, I saw this accolades and awards and it sort of went like half a page. <laughs> don't, don't believe the hype. <laughs> he's quiet to the audience. He's just quiet now. <laughs> so, so tell us about your work at Langer Rock as Chief Technical Officer and the development and what Toolbox Spotter is, which led to the start of your company, Prescient. Okay, so I'll try and make this a neat little story. Uh, to start with, Langerock's a big construction company. They're one of the largest ones in the world. Um, they run a very successful construction business and they have a lot of people focused on the construction side of it. I wasn't in that side. To their credit, they also run an R&D wing, which they invest uh, quite heavily in if you're you know, from somewhere that doesn't have much money. If you look at Langer Rock's balance sheets, it's not that heavy, but they do invest quite heavily. Uh, the purpose of that is it's quite interesting because they kind of refer to it almost like, uh, you know, social projects, but it's an engineering company. So they, they mean be social, but an engineer still. Yeah. So there's a lot of um, things just to try and make the world a better place or to, to make it easier to do something, easier to do the job, the whole better, faster, cheaper, stronger type mentality, which is quite good. That um, department is all uh, fed up with people who have spent way too long at universities and you know done degrees and this and that and professor here or there just have a, a crazy idea, go and spend some money and then see if they can integrate it into the core business it's a game of numbers. So if the core business flips at you know, $10 billion a year and your crazy idea saves 1%, then it was worth it. So I was in there. My background prior to that was situational awareness and robotics, which is sensing and perception. So here's a robot. It knows nothing of the world. What can it see? What can it understand? How can it put two and two together to work out where it should be? Go into Langer Rock and very quickly got faced with the issue of um, person and machine interactions or in a much more humanistic way, people losing bits. Mm -hmm. So too many people came home and were telling their significant other, um, I'm pretty sure I used to have 10 fingers. I seem to be missing some now though. <laughs> um, that traces back pretty simply to maybe two, two options. One's very dramatic, either your workforce a bunch of psychopaths who are trying to hurt each other, which is probably unlikely, <laughs> or, or the much more realistic or reasonable, oh yeah, sorry, I just didn't see you there. Yep. Unfortunately, if you're dropping, driving a 400 ton machine and you didn't see someone, that person is very flat. So a little situational awareness device just to help 
people have helped themselves, seeing their blind spot, the kind of thing you'd see in your kind of car, just imagine a very big one, just made good sense. It was a classic case of bringing a technology from a field, in this case robotics, which is fairly mature, to a field where it just hadn't been heard of before. And then using that field as a market to deliver it. So that maybe academic pursuit turned into a potential value add or um, the value capture. So save some money type of product or service, I guess. And then it slowly evolved into, well, hang on a second. There's lots of people out there. Maybe we could help the broader, you know, broader population, many more markets, many more companies, many more individuals. Uh, as soon as you start to look external from the company you're within, things like branding and naming becomes important. And the name was one of the last things that happened that you refer to it as toolbox bottle, which is one of the, I guess, first things happened when it started looking external from the company. Uh, where is it being used now, your your um, your technology? Like you said, you, there's a big market out there. So we have the spectacular problem of way too much demand. So it's it's being used in some pretty decent places already. So mining, mining construction rails, the big ones, but mining like BHP and Rio Tinto and FMG, those kind of miners. Um, construction, Langer Rock, obviously. But also <clears throat> places like Simic, John Holland, all the tier one, big uh, big ones, the Farge, Holson, Humes, which is some $100 billion revenue company. Uh, I don't know if you know it because you have to be pretty deep in construction to know it. Yeah, I know some of the companies. But just tell me now, so is the technology or the solution actually put on afterwards or is it put on as they're building the machinery? Uh, so aftermarket. Okay. But it's right. a, it's a, the way it's been made, I think it's very simple, but very real. So here there's a lot of people out there doing their job. There's a lot of existing process, a lot of things just go on. How can we go in there and add something without causing much fuss, without causing much disaster? So if you have a million dollar machine and you wish you had have had this one extra feature, you can't send it back to the factory and get it put in. That's not gonna happen. But if that one feature just sits on the dashboard, then that's a possibility. So you, you would see that. So, you, you know, car with the... Yeah, video cam. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Exactly. So I think that makes it much easier for the business to adopt because, you know, there's always this dream of, we'll do OEM and we'll, you know, Komatsu will have it in and we'll sell billions and we'll be billionaires. That would be great. But there's this very real reality that the depreciation cycles for large CapEx, large machines are often 10 years. There's 200 people who die each year in Australia and over 100,000 100, people who lose something, like lose an arm, lose a leg, lose a finger in workplace incidents every year. So if we have to wait 10 years for someone to buy the machine with a thing in it, yeah. that's way too many people who got hurt. Whereas if, they, if someone can just pick up the widget, put it on the dashboard and off they go, and we save just one person, I'm happy with that. If we can, if one, one extra person gets to live or someone gets to keep an arm that otherwise would have lost it, I'm happy with that. That can happen tomorrow versus 10 years. 
I'm surprised the technology is not compulsory um, in, in these sort of construction industries where a lot of workplace accidents happen. And, you know, it's just sheer through volume, how busy the sites are and the size of the machinery. So I, I think it's inevitable that it will be. I think it's just the, the classic, or actually it won't need to be because they actually generally want it. So it's not going to have to be mandated. People want yeah. it. I think it's just the classic that no one's ever thought of it before if they did it didn't really work or it used to cost a hundred thousand dollars and now cost five so a hundred thousand dollars you know everyone wanted it but it was a bit hard because it, you know we'd have to spend 15 million dollars to get it everywhere yeah whereas now we lose a few zeros and all of a sudden it becomes practically possible so i, I see it as a similar thing to you know your mobile phone so no one had to make them mandatory yeah. What happened is they just started doing more. They started becoming more useful and they started cost, uh, stopped costing so much and all of a sudden we all carry them around. Yeah. So how big is your company? How many people work there? Oh, wow. That seems like it should be an easy question, right? <laughs> so we keep hiring too many people. I, th I think we're up to something like 24, 25. But I, I think we're hiring something like one or two people every month. Um, and there's a bit of turn around and settle kind of thing. So right now, I, th I think probably the trends are more interesting. So th this time last year, there were six. This time next year, there'll probably be more like 50. Yeah. And um, like, have you got a board and it's like, a, it's a full on company that you've got directors, etc. That's right, there's a full on board. So I'm on the uh, board as well as another executive director here. And then we've got uh, three others who are non-executive directors. All right. Okay. So it's great done. So we can put there if you're hiring, we'll put your, your definitely your details and people can contact you. <laughs> well, I mean, all, all mechatronic and robotic students are always asking where the jobs in Australia. Yeah, I, I think that too. And it, I find it absolutely tragic because Australians are awesome at doing things. Terrible at telling anyone. Yeah. So there are some really cool robotics and automation and mechatronic stuff going on in, in this country. And it's unfortunately places like construction companies and mining companies and oil and gas companies, and you just never think it. So yeah. there's no there's no 16-year-old at school thinking, geez, one day I'm gonna do a really cool robotics project that's probably gonna end up in space whilst working in a construction company. Yeah, but, but these things happen, obviously, so... They, they happen, they happen quite a bit. We spend quite a money. Some, some of the most kind of boring, great corporates we've got do some of the most exciting robotics projects and tell no one. No one knows. Kids are just saying, what am I going to do when I grow up? Meanwhile, we've got these logos that mean something, you know, if you want to fill up your car with petrol, <laughs> don't mean so much if you want to make a robot that one day you accidentally find out, oh my God, you guys do this. Yeah. Why didn't you tell anyone? Why do you think that is so? Why do you think there's such a, is it a conscious reticence of people not talking about the work or is it, you know, do they just, they don't think it's important? So I, I personally think there's a couple of things going on here. So, so one thing is Australian culture where we have a strong bias towards doing so it's, it's the classic, um, you know, you must balance with what you've been talking about doing with doing what you've been talking about. You maybe go to some other cultures and they talk a little bit much. There's a little bit too much hype. There's a little bit 
too too much smoke smoke and vapor and then you come to some other countries perhaps like australia where there's a lot of doing and no mention so i don't think the balance really works either side because we have a lot of redundancy here where i might be doing the same thing as you and we just don't tell each other but i think it's deeply cultural uh, basically and i'm going to quote my dad here if you've got a problem shut up and solve it or just shut up either way shut up <laughs> which i think is a very strange thing so we have to we have to do something about this we actually need to talk about the work we're doing and we have to tell the rest of the world because you and i have had this discussion before about Australians are actually very good at what they do and uh, we don't stand back for anyone in the world. And tell no one. And, and then the other side of it is our um, corporate corporate environment in Australia. So we, we have, you know, these large companies spending large money, but it's not core business. So, you know, this large mining company, we'll talk about the mining they do because they're a mining company and that's their core business. Yeah, they will yeah. spend tens of millions of dollars in these kind of projects. But there's no need to talk about it because they're not, you know, a robotics company. They're a mining company, so they talk about that. Then we have quite a large gap to government SMEs and medium size who don't spend as much money on this kind of thing, but would talk about it if they did, but they don't. So the people doing all these really cool things have the bankroll to do the cool things, which is amazing, but have no motivation to tell anyone because it's not their core business. Yeah, but... The like we agree on this, they should change their ethos and just for the sake of just because you could be duplicating it and you could be helping someone because you're already doing, you're already doing the work and it could just be one thing you need from someone else and there's another business born in Australia. I, I completely agree. So something I like to say to pretty much everyone is if you're going to do the work, tell someone. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you? Like, I, I get not doing it. I'm also quite lazy. But if you've already done it, just tell them, like, just say it. Well, look, I mean, Australian culture, there could be the fear factor that if you're doing the work and you fail, you don't want to be, you know, let known that you've been a failure. And also, um, you know, tall poppy syndrome is unfortunately, um, I think, alive and well still. Oh, tall poppy syndrome is definitely a thing. I, I don't know. So you can let it get to you if you want. I think there's plenty of ways to get bullied. There's plenty of ways to be discouraged. There's plenty of people out there who have had something to say. Mm. Um, take it on board. Don't take it on board. If you just don't take it on board, I, I mean, life's kind of easy. It might be a little bit lonely, but then do you really want to hang out with the kind of person that doesn't like what you do anyway? Yeah, and has, has the temerity to actually talk about it. It's one thing if they talk to, to you about it, but if they talk to other people without talking to you, that's how I think it gets tricky. <laughs> yeah. um, it's it's complicated, and I would never I would never recommend anyone took um, political or social advice off me. <laughs> so you were involved in the robotics roadmap in 2018, and now in 2020. What's yep. your view on our adoption rate in Australia? And how are we going to improve? Um, so, uh, again, let me kind of rely on a bit of a trend. So, trying to be positive first, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's trending the right way. Mm -hmm. So, there was a, a pretty good turn where um, I, I think out of the 2018 version, there was a bit of a feeling of we're a bit fragmented here. We're not kind of letting each other know what we're doing enough to be able to align, to build on each other's successes or, or go anywhere. There's some things we're just doing for the sake of doing, and there's some things we should be doing. 
that are clearly already there. So that realization, I think started is often a good journey as, you know, we could do more together and we should maybe stop adopting low hanging fruit just because I saw it in Bunnings and it felt like a good idea to say I did something and started adopting actually meaningful stuff. So I, I think the trend, the realization, the, the unity, the direction, they're all very, very positive things. The negative side is I think our adoption rate in Australia is atrocious. So there's many, many more things already on the shelf that we should already just be using. And I really honestly don't know why. Like, I think it's just lack of exposure. It's a lack of it being normalized. So the analogy I've got is, you know, you, you see a really, really nice computer in Harvey Norman's and you just walk past it. And someone says, don't you need it? And be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I could really, really use a computer. And you're like, well, there was a really good one. Why don't you just get that one? that is a good question that is a good question and then just walk away like nothing happened um so yes we could adopt more i want it to be more normalized so it's not a matter of adopting it's more a matter of almost shaming it's like well why aren't you just using the latest study that why don't you have the new operating system why aren't why would you do that manually anymore why wouldn't you just have that um just so culturally we can just get over this decision point because I feel like it's artificial like oh should we decide that we're going to adopt a technology I think we should just get over that and it's like why aren't you using it yeah. why wouldn't you just have it yeah I think um COVID certainly brought um highlighted we're not a sovereign nation we rely on a lot of people outside for help in our manufacturing um and I think there were two like major um uh survey sent out now about artificial intelligence which of course robotics falls under um and look do you do you think based on these surveys that are happening now things will improve um so i i find it similar to a lot of issues right so the right way to go the right thing to do the definition of improve they're, they're all secondary to start with is to get people to talk about it and to start challenging it and start rubbing up against each other. So, so I personally have some fundamental issues with some of these surveys and how they position the idea of the solution or where it should go or how we're going to use it. But I fundamentally support making people talk about it because if you're in a conversation with an intelligent person, you can have a view, they can have a view and you can land somewhere, maybe a shared view that's useful. Yeah. If you try and start the conversation, they've never heard it. They've got no point and don't know what you're talking about. You get nowhere. Yeah. So I'm all for step one of let's get it on the agenda and start talking. Well, LinkedIn seems to be like a like a very busy, um, you know, that's what I like about LinkedIn is that you, you can see a lot of things and you can see all these people doing the work in there. And, you know, I'm always surprised when I, I always, when people put a like or a comment, I, I actually go into their profile and I look at who they are and I'm surprised. Like, here's someone else working in AI. Here's someone else in robotics that I didn't know about. So there seems to be a huge amount of people out in Australia doing this and, you know, you wouldn't know about it. Yeah. It, it's kind of, I don't know. I, I don't really don't know how to feel about it because we're, I, th I think there's a tendency to, to want to form this huge group of mass. I don't know if we really need it, but then I kind of think maybe we do. 
So you, you, you think about a different discipline, like let's just say accountants, because it happens to be the first thing that sprang to my mind. And they've got the, that whole CPA, sorry if anyone's an accountant, I don't know anything about them. <laughs> they've got that whole CPA thing or something. So it, it feels like there is some kind of network. And then I think there is the strength in numbers or even just the validation of the ideas. It helps the network. So there is a, there is a bit of the kind of, you know, we're keeping up with the Joneses, everyone else is doing it. So it feels like we could use that as a community, as a robotics community to have some credibility, have some sense of mass and momentum and inertia. Like kind of a little bit sad by it, like sad be that we need something like that to be able to move. Because I'm still internally struggling whether robotics is actually a discipline rather than just a tool that you would use in your primary discipline, um, that's largely semantic. Yeah, it is, but I agree with you. But I think part of like um, what I very quickly came to find is when you fill in surveys and they go, okay, what industry are you in? Like there's no mention of robotics, generally speaking, like it's just missing. You go, well, I can't actually fill the survey in because my industry is not even represented here. So I think just having a, an industry that you can go well this is robotics ai or have ai but slash robotics yeah. um because it's not engineering like engineering i've got their own professional body so it's, it's more like a professional body that you go well this is actually a recognized industry yeah i i tend to agree i've i've i, I can't help but think of a computer as a parallel because i happen to be staring at one right now yeah. but if you 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 know work at intel and you make computers which industry you're in? You're not in healthcare. You're yeah. not in aerospace. You're not in construction. But you're in all of them. Yeah. I find it similar. We're we're kind of this horizontal industry. So I don't know if that makes us tech. So I often just say I'm in tech or deep tech, depending on who I'm speaking yeah. to. Yeah. Just to say, because you know people are obsessed with these verticals. What vertical are you in? I'm like none. Like I find them kind of dirty to be honest with you yeah but i think like i did i hear what you say but i think just from the point of view of getting like recognition at a government level because i seem obsessed with all these verticals because that's where these census forms come from is them doing this categorization so like even at a governmental level if they're not recognizing ai and robotics that there's fundamentally something wrong there i, I absolutely completely agree it needs to be in there if for nothing other than to be recognised at the government level and to make it into a, the Bureau of Statistics ABS, just, just so we there is some sector, there is some impact. There, there can be some quote of you know the robotics industry has a million workers in Australia. Something um, I I'm not so sure deep down. I think that's the right way the system should work. But you know from the shoulders up, I know that's how the system works, and that is the most sensible thing to do right now to, to show this movement yeah i agree with you so hopefully the powers that be that are all listening to this uh, podcast are going to do something about it <laughs> you're the director of robotics australia group and also the advisory board director of the queensland robotics cluster a lot of words there so what are the aims of these two groups okay they they fit together quite nicely actually so robotics australia is about advocacy and community so it's really um, the, the top two aspects is telling the, the government the robotics is cool and they should invest more into it and tell people to use it more. So advocacy. Yep. Um, and community is 
telling everyone in robotics, we should all like look at each other and tell each other we're doing something and coordinate and try and provide some kind of united front just so we can, you know, the whole strength in numbers or it'd be better if I added my contribution to your contribution. So the customer got the super contribution. And then Queensland Robotics is more about um, traction, so more practical. So that's more about coordinating actual companies and SMEs and individuals and hobbyists and schools and TAFE and education, coordinating them to act together and facilitating that process. So it could, it's quite easy to say. It's a bit like a meetup, I guess. So it's quite easy to say, like, you know, this school should work with that university, should work with this company to come up with a great outcome. But where are they going to sit? How are they going to talk to each other? Which computer are they going to use? Who, who is interested in that outcome? Yeah. So in terms of the rest of Australia, like how many other types of these boards and organisations are there that you know about? Because I think that's part of our challenges. There are quite a few of them out there and how do they all sync together? So if you go to West Australia, I'm sure there'd be people doing amazing robotics work there. Um, in Sydney, where you based, there'd be some organisation again going on. Yes, that's true. So each state has two or three of some kind of similar thing. Uh, there's lots of infighting and none of it makes sense. So the amount of semantic arguments that I get into about how AI is part of robotics, no, robotics is part of AI, no, they're different, no, they're the same. And all I can do is say, oh, look, guys, I just don't care. I really just don't care. <laughs> like, what does it matter? Um, none of it's productive. So how many are there? Quite a lot. Do we do cool stuff? So yes, we do. We should focus on that. Could we do more if we were cognizant, aware of each other? Yes, we could. How's that going to happen? That's one of the missions of our Robotics Australia Group to kind of coordinate that together. Probably to change the, the, the fundamental paradigm. So currently in Australia, we have this scarcity mentality, which is pretty ridiculous. So Australia, I don't know if anyone knows, but Australia's population is me, my wife, and a dog. That's about how many people live in this country. And yet we have hundreds of companies fighting over this tiny market. And we've got this scarcity mentality. I can't tell you what you're doing because you might steal my dog's money and I can't afford that. What we need to pivot into or think into is um, there's 25 million people in Australia. There's 7 billion people in the rest of the world. Why don't we gang up and try and sell to them? There's a lot more zeros. If we went into the abundance market, there is so much pie, it doesn't even make sense who gets a share. I get a share, you get a share, good. Eat as much as you can, but there's going to be heaps. Yeah. If we get into that, then we could you know, maybe work together and go and sell overseas, go here, export something, tap into those markets. That abundance mentality changes everything. Yeah. I hope that I get to retain some of the scarce hair that I've got and I don't have to be talking about why there's seven different advocacy groups in Sydney, all, you know, are kind of the same thing. Why don't we just coordinate? It is, it is slightly ridiculous when you, you think about it like that. Um, what's, let's go to the positive. What's been the best example of robotics, adoption of robotics um, in Australia? Oh, 
positive. Oh, sorry, everyone. I'm an engineer. I suck at positive. <laughs> You're doing famously here, Nathan. You're fine. <laughs> so there's three really, really good examples of large-scale robotics automation in Australia. And unfortunately, I find them all tragic. Yeah. So one is there's a robot that lives on the Harbour Bridge in Sydney and 24 hours a day, seven days a week, goes from one side to the other, grit blasting, sand blasting, finishing the metal so it can be painted and it's completely autonomous. It just goes back and forth, cleaning and getting ready for painting. And we're told that. The next one is Rio Tinto, who I think just do amazing thing after amazing thing automate trucks to drive hundreds of kilometers by themselves trains to do the same thing just large scale like i mean turned states into automated factories it's like yeah. amazing tell nobody the last one is patrick stevedores which has huge scale automation of their docks so you know huge robots picking up containers, like big shipping containers and moving them around and sorting them for logistics operations to optimize when they come in, where they're stored, when they go out, um, you know, don't crash, get them ready for delivery. That we tell no one and adopt, you know, sell to no one. So as a practitioner, we do just amazing things. And it's, it's, it's just like, absolutely blows my mind to think about, you know, we're delivering 20, $50 million projects in just automation. Like, okay, that's an amazing project. As a person, I find it absolutely tragic because going around the world, which I used to be able to do, but thanks to COVID, I can't leave my chair. Yeah. Going around the world, telling people about this and they're like, oh, you know, so go, go somewhere like Japan who has a famous robotics thing and they're like, Oh, we automated a restaurant. I'm like, oh, okay, we automated the state. Yeah. <laughs> and our state's like 10 times the size of your country. <laughs> Look, we're going to change that. I'm going to get these people's names and we're going to, we are going to have interviews with them and we're going to get the word out there. That's what we're going to do. So talking about COVID, do you think that's, uh, that's changed manufacturing in Australia? Um, time, time will be the answer. Unfortunately, the superficially, no. So superficially, a lot of press releases, a lot of news, a lot of ideas came out. And if you paid attention for, you know, I don't know, a while, you go, gee, I've heard this before. This is, it feels like the same press release as last year, but they've changed a couple of names in the date. Um, there is some momentum to change. I, I think after some time, so a positive, a positive thing after some time, some of the, the hype from, I'll oh, look at us where the government was so responsive. Some of the recycling or press releases will die off. We will try to go back to the way it used to be. And we'll all just be faced by a workforce that goes, well, I've kind of proven I don't need to be there all the time, haven't I? So I'm not coming back full time. I'll come back three days a week. I'll come back one day a week. I'm going to do something remote. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've demonstrated I don't need to be sitting at the terminal all day. Something else can do it. Someone else can do it. Business can survive. So I think our long term, we'll be forced as a country to adopt more technologies. So like right now, we're talking on Zoom, right? So more technologies and more capabilities just out of sheer necessity, just yep. out of sheer, well, our 3,000 workers who used to do the job now won't come back to site. So yeah. 
What are we going to do? Getting us back, yeah. So, I don't know how. How do you feel about that? That's a yes or no. Like it, the the initial knee jerk from COVID. I don't think anything more than just words. I hope I'm wrong. I sincerely hope I'm wrong. Long term, I think it's inevitable that it's changed the way we live. Because there's seven billion of us, right? The way we live, and therefore the technology that already exists will just have to be adopted if, so we can keep going. I agree with you, and I certainly think you know, um, starting with COVID, like these Zoom calls, you would have you wouldn't have considered doing this, but this is just now how it is. I mean, I I, I find it hard with. Um, I've spoken to a couple of professors and things and they say it's very tough doing like online tutoring like this it's it's really not ideal but you know if you've got no other choice what are you going to do well that's kind of it it's interesting and i think that probably carries across quite a lot because the the i'm going to say the old mentality was what's the best way i could do this and the new mentality is 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 this better than nothing so is this the best way we could be having a conversation via Zoom? No, it'd be better in a cafe. I could be drinking coffee. If we'd be outside and it's sunny, it'd be great. But is this better than not doing it? Yes, it is better than not doing it. Yeah. Can we do it the other way? No. So let's do the best we can under the circumstances. I think we'll evolve into, well, maybe we can do more little things like this, which are suboptimal, sure, that we can do 10 of them. Whereas if we we're going to do it the old way, we probably only have bandwidth for one. Yeah. So speaking of professors, you're an adjunct professor of robotics at the Ohio State University. You were, um, you got that role. What's an adjunct professor? I, I, I get lost with all these titles. I have to ask you. Um, so if you're deep in academia, the US system has different terminology to Australian system anyway. Yeah. So what they mean by it is honorary professor. So it's like an advisor. Okay. All right. And have you done work for them? So have you been zooming in and talking to people? Yep. So my role there, which COVID's made difficult, is to pick up bits and pieces of technology that's coming out of the faculty or grab a bunch of students who are doing their final year's kind of project technology and help help the above turn it into a product and help them get some traction into market and startups and companies and large corporates, whatever. So I've got lots of connections in large corporates that, and they just love stuff. Uh, that's obviously a little bit easier if you can go there and walk around because engineers are great at doing stuff and not so great at telling anyone. So if you can walk around and go, wow, what's that thing? Yeah, yeah. It's an easier discovery process. Uh, but yeah, still been doing that uh, via Zoom. So just setting up kind of meetings that's pretty much bi-weekly, just an you know, hour here or there, kind of. So what you got, what's going on? Have you been working on this? Um, I don't know if I'm being ageist, but students are heaps easier to work with because they just say, it just, it's, like, it's been a long time since I was in my 20s, by the way, everyone. But, um, <laughs> they just don't seem to see any issue with it. It's like- Yeah, look, have, I think I agree with you, yeah have a meeting with a bunch of students and they're just like well how else would you have a meeting it's yeah. more like we'd all go to the same place we're not barbarians yeah so pre-covid pre would you have gone there for like a period of time or like how would it work for you yep so this is actually my first year at ohio so previous to that i did eight years at stanford and uh, that's over in um california 
they're right on the coast at Palo Alto. So I used to go there. I used to be active for three months. And then for those three months, I'd probably do something like, I don't know, half of it in California, come back to Australia for a month and then the other half of it. I know the math doesn't quite work out there, but you get the idea. Yeah. So the plan with Ohio was to do about the same thing because, you know, old Kirshner used to go to the States two, three, four times a year, probably to Europe once or twice a year. So it just fit into my lifestyle to hang out for a while and do a couple of things. Yeah. Um, and the plan was just to kind of keep doing bits and pieces like that. And I'm quite happy to work remotely anyway. I've been doing it for a long, long time. So it's just kept working in Australia anyway. Um, New Kirshner hasn't been on a plane for about nine months. <laughs> so is everyone wishing, can the planes just open up, please? Can, can the new Kirshner get on a plane and go somewhere? <laughs> Are you uh, maybe, maybe my wife is thinking that, yeah. <laughs> Um, for me though, and, and sorry to jump on top of what you're saying, for me though, I find this whole thing great. So I'm sorry to be someone who tries to draw a positive out of something that's inherently very, very negative and bad. But having tried to work remotely for a decade, so many people just seem to have hangups like I can't do it by Zoom and I don't want you to see my room, I can't do this. I've had so many things where, you know, used to travel from Sydney to Brisbane and Melbourne, both each week. So every week I do a day in Sydney, a day in Melbourne, a day in Brisbane and a couple of days just wherever I was. Yeah. I had so many, you know, let's just say the stereotypical old white guy saying, oh, nothing beats a face-to-face. You know, it's definitely worth you coming here for this. And I'm like, I have to get up at 4 a.m., fly there, yeah. spend an hour in a taxi to have a one-hour face-to-face meeting and then repeat the process to get home by 10 p.m. So that was the old style. Now it's back to what I was saying before where there's just no choice. So is, is a Zoom call better than nothing? Because I, I, I agree it's not as good as face-to-face, but it, the face-to-face option is not there. So for the first maybe couple of months, everyone was gagging for, oh, I can't wait, this is over and you can get back on the plane. Now what, we're six, nine months into it and everyone's over. Everyone's like, oh, we can just do this by Zoom, it's fine. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, I guess I get to go home then. Listen, I mean, I've always maintained like this this backwards and forwards, as you say, for one hour, like it it impacts your life so heavily. Um, You know, for certain corporates, I think this is the way of life, but I've, I've never agreed with it. I just go, you know, you... You can work, but you actually still want a life. And that lifestyle you're describing there, that's not much of a life. No. So I don't, I don't know if it's worth me agreeing again in a circle, but I definitely agree. Yeah, we agree. So now you've got children. How old are they? Um, I should know this off the top of my head. <laughs> so nearly four, nearly six. Like this is the quiz now. And you know what sex is that? Oh, is it boy, girls, girls? What is it? <laughs> yes, the young one. The... 324 is a girl and yep. uh, 526 is a boy. Okay. And are they, do they look at you in the work you do? Do you discuss your work or they do you, do they just see you as this person that comes in and out of their lives and, you know, on Zoom calls and things? Well, it's very, it's kind of fascinating, very interesting. And they're little kids, so they've got no idea what's going on kind of thing, yeah. but it's so cute anyway. Yeah. 
So they know it's got something to do with robots, but they don't really know what that is. My son thinks that's Lego and he's happy with that. Yeah. Um, they know it's got something to do with, uh, let's call them cameras, but the vision system, AI thing, they just think it's a camera. Yeah. And they're both a little bit scared by that. So they're both like every time they see a black dot anywhere, they're like, is that one of your cameras? Are you watching me? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I lied to my kids loving them. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm watching you. Yeah. You better be behaved. <laughs> um, I bring them to work quite often just probably to make a nuisance of myself to everyone who works with me to try and destigmatize her a bit that like i i believe in work life separation but i don't believe that it has to be militant and i don't believe it has to be social i think it's okay to have children i think it's okay to want to do something other than work i think it's okay to have a partner and i think it's okay to tell that to tell that to people to say that so you know you bring your kid to to work one day a month or something and they're sitting there next to you and I think that's okay you've got kids good yeah and actually you know they can see where you go to what do you actually do you know like it's just not this this big work concept out there that means nothing to them they they grow up knowing a part of you that you they wouldn't otherwise know yeah so just I I just feel it's more enriching for life like Mm -hmm. take, take some of the stigma out of stuff like don't don't get me wrong. Some things should be magical, and they're great when they're magical, like the surprises, the presents, you know, the special treats. They're all magical, and they should stay that way. Yeah. Other things are just a cog in life. So you know, don't live to work, work to live, right? So it's just a cog in life. Here, yeah, I, I I go to work. It's it's not some magical secret thing you should aspire to for your entire life. I come in here, I sit in the room, and I play off the computer, and people pay me. It's great. You want some Lego? <laughs> Yeah, and some other things as well. <laughs> so any advice for anyone wanting to have a career in robotics? Um, you know, would you recommend them to have a mentor? Did you have a mentor? Um, so I, I suppose I've got a bit of a broad answer. So I kind of did have, oh no, I absolutely definitely did have many, many mentors. Yeah. I didn't have just one though. So I'm not the, the, the classic, um, you know, just as one person I always go to for advice. I'm far broader than that. And I think it's invaluable. So, you know, you don't have to be alive for very long to work out that you learn stuff just from being alive. So if you take that with you everywhere you go and you have the mindset of, I might get, if, if I get something out of this interaction, I'm better. If I get nothing out of it, I just want to do it again with that particular person. You can't lose, so you can treat everyone a bit as a mentor. Uh, you know, use it wisely. So if they give you something useful, go back. If they don't, go somewhere else. That I, I just find a big shortcut, perhaps not to make the final decision, but to get you up to the decision point. So the kind of like, oh, here's the circumstances. What do you think? What do you think? Get some perspectives. Get the last bit of information firsthand. Make the decision. I think that's absolutely vital strongly recommend just finding as many people as you can with many different perspectives you've got to have different perspectives and i mean out of discipline perspectives even just to get some kind of grasp of what else is there what else are the possibilities to work out what what comes across as the whole balance so your first part of the question you know advice for someone wanting robotics career um if you 
think you can make money out of it. I'm your wrong person. So I very rarely do anything just for money. Money just comes or it doesn't come and kind of, you know, as long as you've got enough to eat, who kind of cares? Yeah. Um, if you're really into a robotics call, me too. Yeah. So if you really, really want a, a career in robotics, it, it's, it's Lego. Like just play with Lego, make it. Yeah. I, I think that's great. Some of, as I've done a lot of um, teaching for like high school kids and below. And one of the things that seems to resonate really well with them and uh, end up having a quite a relationship with uh, one of the head teachers of technology for the Department of Education is like the difference between a Lego robot these days and industrial robotics these days is my robot costs more than yours. Yeah. The end. So, yep, there's a thing, put it together, program to do something, work out what you want to do, make it do it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what you do here. Oh, mine's just bigger and costs more. So, to, take that out I, I think takes the fear of the step out so it's it's almost as simple as if you want to create robotics play with robots like just make some out of lego turn everything into it keep in mind that the uh, you know robotics is very simple in definition so something that can see and understand what's going on around it generate information from that which it incorporates into some kind of decision plan, action plan generator, what do I know, what's happening, what else do I know, what do I want to achieve, how should I do it? And then the third step is some ability to do it. So it's what information do I need? Yeah. What should I do now? What do I actually do? Everything's a robot, right? Yeah, so start building. And do you think like coding, um, having some sort of coding ability is crucial at this point in time? Um, rather than picking on specific skills and just by the way side note to everyone yes coding is important but rather than picking on specific skills i think the most important thing you know let, let's say zero to 20 is to not be afraid yeah so a lot of people seem to be afraid of coding and it's just literally nothing so can you think yes you can code so what is it it's me typing out four so Maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm old enough to remember when people were scared of typing or on a computer that is, type rows a bit older than me. Uh, yeah, it, you're not anymore. Like you've got a computer, everyone's got a computer, you've got an iPad, you've probably got a phone like that. So you already think things, you already speak the language, just write it down. So the reason you can't code is you don't know the syntax. whoop de do? Like, yeah, just okay. learn the syntax, yeah. Learn the syntax, you, you know the logic, you know the words, you know, steps you, you want to go through, you, you can come up with an action plan, you need a little bit of help on syntax. It's, coding is almost like a spell checker now. So you can kind of guess and yeah. the spell checker will just tell you what the syntax is. You don't even have to know it anymore. Then you step into visual programming, which is just drag and drop interfaces. So the actual practicing it, I don't, I don't think focusing on that skills is the right step right now. The right step right now is just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to try. It's not that hard. It's not that difficult. Probably the most important thing is you're going to fail. It's going to suck. And I'll tell you the worst thing that's going to happen. Someone's going to say, well, that didn't really work, did it? <laughs> Let's try it again. <laughs> whoop de do <laughs> like, Yeah, whoop de do. <laughs> oh, maybe don't take that mentality if you're going to make an airplane, though. <laughs> no. Do this with Lego yep. and work your way up. That's it. And then fail forwards, right? Yeah. Didn't work. 
what to do, no big loss. If your goal was to learn what you should have done, then you just learn it and do it again. Reiterate. If your goal was to get it right the first time you ever tried it, then you're a better person than I am because I've yet to have got anything right. <laughs> Nathan, it's been an absolute treat to chat to you. Um, if anyone wants to get hold of you, what's the best place? Um, I'm pretty easy to find on the internet. Um, I also just like talking, so you can just email me and I'll probably respond or Google, Google my name, LinkedIn. So Nathan Kirshner at Gmail is my email address. It's pretty easy. Um, anything. I'll, I'll, I'll put your Gmail address um, in the show notes for people to get hold of you because you've got several. So let's go with the Gmail one, I think. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. So thank you very much for your time. I thoroughly enjoyed chatting to you. Um, to our listeners out there, join me again in two weeks' time for another episode of Let's Talk Robotics and look forward to some of your feedback. Thanks.